Hi, and welcome to this podcast series, This PhD Thinks, with me, Jovina Ang. I'm here to talk to the PhD community. Talking to these individuals have challenged me, made me think differently, and helped me grow as a leader and a person. And I hope you'll be able to take away a thing or two from the conversations with my guests. Because any kind of business, and you might think, oh, I'm running a business in, I don't know, um, making industrial stickers for large machinery. And that doesn't involve science, but it does. Everything in our world involves science. And then the question is, well, how does that impact policy? Well, policy needs to be fed by evidence and data. So I think it's very natural, actually, to connect the three of them. Hello, everyone. My guest for this episode is Shen Shen Lei. Shen is the CEO of MCHAM in Singapore, an adjunct professor, as well as a, a health advisory board member. Shen, thank you so much for, for all your support and for agreeing to be a guest on my podcast. My pleasure. It's so much fun to talk to you and I've known you for a little while now, so we'll just get to know each other better. And I'm sure we'll have a really great chat today. So let's start with your super amazing and interesting background. I mean, Shen, you were trained as an epidemiologist and now today and yet today you work in the intersection of science, business and policy in your role as a CEO of MCHEM. So maybe tell us, how did you get interested in so many diverse fields? Yeah, thank you for the great question. Um, you know, for some people, maybe my background is actually quite boring because it, it seems in some ways very science and academia driven. But, uh, you know, for me, the interesting part of it and what's been fun uh, the last couple of years, even though it's been miserable in many ways with the pandemic is, Many of us who are epidemiologists spent a lot of time explaining to people what the heck an epidemiologist is. And very mm -hmm. often because of the epi, E-P-Y at the beginning, people guess it's something to do with skin because of the relation of that word with epidermis. So it's quite nice now that many people understand what an epidemiologist does, which is to track and trace the causes of disease in populations rather than individuals per se. And for some of us, that means tracking infectious diseases like the COVID-19 virus, which is called SARS-CoV-2. Or for the rest of us, I was trained as a cardiovascular genetic epidemiologist, which means I looked at risk factors for cardiovascular diseases, specifically type 2 diabetes and end-stage renal disease. And what I did was looking at genetic risk factors, meaning genes, genetic mutations, and of course, whole genome means your entire DNA sequence, looking for clues that might suggest that there are specific genetic mutations that increase your risk of those particular diseases. So it's really quite nice that now I can say that one time and maybe that would be enough because end of day, as an epidemiologist, what we're looking for are clues and causes to certain diseases. And if once you understand the cause of something, then you can start to think about how you can deal with the cause and mitigate the effect and maybe possibly even prevent it from a disease and healthcare perspective. Um, Interesting. So, so is COVID behind us then? Definitely not. Uh, the mutations, the, vari the variants continue to pop up. We are seeing in the U.S. an uptick in the number of cases. Fortunately, the recent variant BA2 is still does, does not seem to be causing severe disease. 
but we're, we're definitely not past it. And I think uh, many of us are a little bit worried that another one may come along before we're really, truly uh, past COVID, this current wave and up, upcoming waves for COVID pandemic. But, you know, I don't think we should get complacent. Mask wearing is absolutely brilliant. So when you are in a large crowd, I would still suggest wearing masks. And I suppose that's an indication that we still have an infectious disease amongst us. Jen, so how did you go from being an epidemiologist now to working as a CEO of MCHAM and working in, you know, at the intersection of science, business and policy? How did you go from there to here? It's actually an enduring interest of mine to bring science and policy and business together. And in fact, I had this in my head even when I was an undergraduate because you know, as with many Asian students, we think, oh, I'm going to be a doctor. But of course, at the time, doctor to me meant being becoming a physician, a clinician and seeing patients. But I'm going to be really honest here. I did not really enjoy organic chemistry. In fact, I took organic chemistry two times and just really struggled with it. And it is usually, it's usually a weeder class for pre-meds anyway. So pretty quickly, I knew I wasn't going to be a clinician. But I did take enough courses to realize that what I really wanted to do from a healthcare perspective is maybe focus on a larger scale, looking at uh, bigger problems, and that is public health. Public health really is the science of humanity, and I and I and I'm quoting the editor in chief of the Lancet, Richard Horton. He's the one who said that, and I really truly believe in it. So even as an undergraduate, I majored in a in a degree that wasn't all that well known at the time. <laughs> Sorry, well established at the time. And the degree at Stanford was called human biology. Human biology really encourages you to look at biology, the science, but but also the overlap or the complementarity of biology, the science with things like psychology and sociology, et cetera. And we were also able to design our own major. So I decided I was gonna focus on public health. I knew I wanted to go to graduate school and focus on epidemiology. So I took classes in economics. I took classes in ethics. I designed my major around that because in order to help populations, I had the feeling that I would need to be much more well-rounded instead of being very technically driven. So that science and policy piece was already in my head. Now, business, how did that come into play? I think I always thought also that I wanted to become involved in commerce. And maybe it was a picture in my head when I was in primary school that I would get to wear a suit and carry a briefcase because that was for real. But I also wanted to be a scientist. And frankly, the way we understand the world today, the three of them really need to be tightly connected because any kind of business and you might think, oh, I'm running a business in, I don't know, um, making industrial stickers for large machinery. And that doesn't involve science, but it does. Everything in our world involves science. And then the question is, well, how does that impact policy? Well, policy needs to be fed by evidence and data. Mm -hmm. So I think it's very natural actually to connect the three of them. And it's something that I actually stated explicitly when I took this job uh, more than two years ago. In my first CEO message, I explained to everyone that had I stayed in the U.S., I got my graduate degree from Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, which is just up the road from Washington, D.C. Had I not married a Singaporean right out of college and agreed to join him in Asia, if my life would, were, had gone down a different path, I would have stayed in Baltimore. I would have then gone over to D.C. and worked 
on the Hill, hopefully in something related to science policy. And maybe someday I would have run for public office. That was certainly my intent. But as it so happens, my life took a different path. And so now I'm hoping to convince everyone that science, business and policy really do need to be connected. Wow. Wow. That's that's such an amazing way in terms of how you have moved. And also, I, I'm amazed by how you think as well. So a lot of your scientific background has also helped you in terms of I mean, or frame the way you think and lead as a leader? I think so. I uh, I think I got very good training in undergraduate. I had very good training in graduate school. So, you know, academically, I was at a place where people really, you know, our professors really challenged us. And in fact, one of my friends at one point said, hey, if you were able to pass uh, your dissertation defense and all of that, Johns Hopkins, that is essentially you know the toughest thing that you could ever go through. And I thought, I don't know about that, but... Clearly, some people think so. So sometimes when I'm feeling a little insecure, I'll say, you can do this because you were able to defend your dissertation in front of those really tough professors. But, you know, what they did was they trained us to question, to be able to respond in a very rational manner, to to be able to. And I still personally, I'm not really good at this part and I still work at it to be able to take the right data and the right evidence, the right numbers and use those to support your argument, because if you just want to make broad statements, that doesn't really convince anyone anymore. And what is our unique value add as scientists or PhDs, yep. right? It is that we are, we know how to collect data. We know how to collect evidence and use it to test a hypothesis and come to some conclusion. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. I think um, having, I mean, having gone through the whole process, definitely I have a hone in terms of my questioning, my thinking, as well as, um, you know, not just look at data, but turning them into insights for decision making. Yes. Yeah. So, so what, what sort of insights have you been able to draw from epidemiology, business, and public policy that that you found really useful in terms of like, you know, fulfilling a role as the the CEO of MCM? So, it, I when I first took on this job in January of 2020, this is when I accepted the role full time. That was before COVID. If you recall, COVID hit just around Chinese New Year weekend at the end of January. And um, so so I had a month of not knowing COVID was going to be in my life. And I did not plan it, but it did work in my favor because as soon as we learned that there was something going on in China, I had at least because of my experience in epidemiology and my understanding of infectious diseases, I knew that this was going to be something that we needed to pay attention to. Although, like most people, I probably didn't think it was. I definitely did not think it was going to get as serious as this. I remember saying to someone at an event the following week, I said, it'll be fine. China's going to know how to contain it. They have very sophisticated scientists. You know, healthcare there is good. They'll be able to contain it within China and we'll all be fine. So clearly I was wrong on that front. But as a CEO of AmCham, one of the first things we did was to conduct a survey of our members to assess their understanding of what potentially could be the impact and get a sense of how worried they were, right, to get that business sentiment. And within a few weeks, we had results from a survey on the impact of the pandemic or the you know, the perspective of companies. And we were able to present it to Minister Chan Chun Singh, who was at the time the Minister for Trade and Industry. So he came to the AmCham office, get this. We were launching the results of the survey. We were having a conversation with him to get the 
Singapore government's perspective, I had someone on the panel who was doing uh, risk communications or crisis communications. I had someone on the panel who was uh, an expert in employee environmental health and safety for employees. I had a public health professor from Sasui Hawk School of Public Health at National University of Singapore. He's an infectious disease professor. He was on the panel with Minister Chan Chin Singh. Said all these people who are going to be able to provide you that different perspective so that you can think about your business continuity plan. But the interesting part of this whole event was it was packed wall to wall. Okay. I had a hundred people in a room packed. There's standing people standing at the back wall and nobody was wearing a mask. Oh. That's how little we knew. Because you remember the early days, we really didn't think the virus was so contagious. Yep. So if you, if you look at that situation, even me with my you know epidemiology background, my public health background, we were acting on the, the knowledge that we had. So for the last two plus years, what I've been able to do also is to provide that perspective to businesses from business continuity planning, but also thinking about how worried should we be? One of the most common questions people love to ask me is, so Shen, when do you think it's going to be over? Two months, six months, next year, when? They said, hey, I don't have a crystal ball, but I can tell you, even if it is supposedly quote unquote over, these are the things that you're going to have to be thinking about in the future because it's about our employees. It's about how we work. You know, it's, it's not just about health per se. It's about how we work, how we deal with our offices. How do we do supply chain planning? Um, all of those things have come to the forefront that we really did not think too much about before, right? So I, I think with my perspective, I'm a bit better at assessing risk, I believe, and helping our companies understand, you know, what they will need to do in order to mitigate that risk. Right. So what is one thing that you observe that people are still not really paying attention to in terms of um, mitigating that risk? It's hard to look around corners. It's hard to be confident about predicting predicting what the future holds. I think a lot of us also are still tend to be quite short-sighted in our thinking because that's human nature, right? We prepare yep. for what's right in front of us. But I think we need to really think about beyond our borders. So Singapore now, of course, we've relaxed some restrictions. All of us are, many of us are, you know, vaccinated, triple vaccinated. Some of our elderly are even getting their fourth booster shot, a second booster shot, so fourth jab, right? But beyond our borders, if you look at, you know, other countries, Myanmar, uh, Vietnam, you know, Thailand, Indonesia, et cetera, they have very spread out populations and their vaccination rates are nowhere as high as ours. So I think one of the things that we have to think about from a business perspective, but even just as individuals or as populations is you recall early on when our borders were closed, it was because nobody's safe until our neighbors are safe. So we shouldn't be running around going to each other's countries because we might be bringing the disease and reinforcing it amongst each other. But end of day, I mean, I think we need to be caring for other populations that haven't had the access to healthcare, haven't had the access to vaccines. And now that we have oral drugs that we can take within the first five days of getting symptoms, now you're at the treatment phase. We need to see how we can actually give other countries that are not in such a good shape access to all of this that we have here. Mm, I I totally agree with you. I think you're absolutely right. It's not just our our Southeast Asian countries. Most countries in Africa, South America, there's also an issue in terms of low vaccinate uh, vaccination rates there too. 
Mm. Exactly. This is very fascinating conversation. How have you applied some of what you know from signs? Gosh, I'm always on the research to figure out how to deal with that work-life balance. So something that I'm not too shy to say, and I'll say it on your podcast, so lots of people are going to know this now, is that I'm turning <laughs> 50 years old this year. So I got- Congratulations. Really, uh, thank you. I, I'm happy to have made it to 50. So that's pretty cool, right? But there's a lot of angst that comes with turning into one of these major you know, decade milestones, as everyone would have experienced. But the 50-year mark is actually a big one because from the research that I've been doing, because I'm so obsessed with it, you know, 50 years is technically when on average across the world, different societies, and even in chimps and apes, where 50 is when you're about to start turning the corner and feel a bit more satisfied with what you've accomplished in your life. You get out of this, there's a happiness curve that reaches rock bottom around the average age of 46.7 years. Now it shifts a little bit depending on what culture you're in and whatnot. But generally speaking, it's late 40s when you hit rock bottom. And as you hit 50, you start to climb out of it. So I'm really obsessed. And from a science perspective, so this is how I deal with my anxiety. I go and I read a lot. I'll read um, primarily, I prefer books because you can delve into the subject and the authors helped you gather up everything and all that. Yep. So I did read um, one book, The Happiness Curve, which I would highly recommend. There's another one I read recently called From Strength to Strength. So, so that's how I handle my personal life to manage <laughs> my stress levels. I just go and I dig for information about whatever the heck it is that I'm anxious about. One of the things right now that I'm anxious about is turning 50. So I'm digging for information and I share it with all my friends. And I'm like, you know, in this book, for, for example, from strength to strength, the author talks about you have to let go of this you know, society expectation that you need to be famous or you need to have accomplished something in your career that people are going to admire you for and say, just like you, Jovina, you're like, you're so amazing. And we say this kind of stuff to each other all the time. Yes. But actually, and, and I think it's really nice, but at the same time, we need to let go of the need to hear that kind of stuff because you know what? We're going to get to a point where people ain't going to say that anymore to us. Yeah. Yeah. I think, you, I think you 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 hit on a a note that you know in Singapore in particular we are so focused on uh, external validation, and quite honestly, happiness comes from inner validation and our spirituality yes. rather than all this external validation. Anyway, finally, Shan, what is one key takeaway you want to leave behind with the listeners? This one's really, really hard for me because I'm always, my brain is always lighting on some idea and then I'll be noodling it for a long time and I'll let it go. So I'll be talking to you right now about letting go of the need to be appreciated and valued because that's my obsession right now. But I suppose the one takeaway that I share with my two children and others is really to be open to new ideas and experiences. Um, and that lends itself to this idea of diversity, equity, inclusion that we talk a lot about now, because I think all of us can become quite, you know, we get in our comfort zone of, I only want to hang out with this person or this type of person. You don't even know that you are heading down that path, right? You don't even know that you, you have selected um, opportunities or experiences that are just comfortable for you. But, you know, to try to be that more flexible, to be more open to challenging experiences and even challenging people. Um, I get so bent out of shape sometimes when I, you know, think about, oh, this person, that, that, that. But, you know, if I am calm and I think about even the most challenging situations or people, 
have taught me something incredibly important. And that, that that's what, at least when I talk to my children, that key takeaway is, you know, try to be open to new experiences. And th- some things are not going to be pleasant, but you will, you will definitely find something valuable. You would have learned something valuable, even if you really want to resist the idea that it taught you something, but it did. Thank you so much, Shen, uh, for all your insights. I really enjoyed our conversation. Thank you so much. Thank you for the opportunity, Jovina. Thank you for tuning in to this PhD Thinks with me, Jovina Ang. Till next time, bye-bye now.